0: Listening to Rock and Door Roll. I'm BJ, and the book is out. It's called This Band Has No Past How Cheap Trick Became Cheap Trick. Let's hear what Luke and Heidi from the Rock and Roll Grad School podcast have to say about
1: it. We both loved this book. We loved this book. Wow, great.
2: And, Thank you. And we do not say that to everybody we talk to. I guarantee you that.
3: It reads so naturally and so fluidly through all of it, and you can hear all of their voices so clearly through it as well as everybody else
0: that chimes in it was so good as luke said thank you speaking of podcasts i got to be on the rock and roll geek show with michael butler probably the first podcast i ever listened to well definitely the first podcast i ever listened to back in it must have been 2004
3: well, BJ, thank you for doing this, and congratulations on the book. It's really quite the achievement. I mean, I got to say, I'm I am quite impressed. You have surpassed all of us lame ass podcasters with this book, right?
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it uh, definitely was a labor of love, and you know, it's very nerdy and very detailed.
3: That's what detailed. you want. That's what you want, though.
0: But yeah, that that's the only thing. That the only kind of cheap trick book I was gonna write. Another podcast I have now unexpectedly been a guest on is Three Sides of the Coin.
2: So so go go look for This Band Has No Past, How Cheap Trick Became Cheap Trick by Brian Cramp, K-R-A-M-P, if you're going to do a Google search for it. Um, if you're a, I mean, obviously, if you're a Cheap Trick fan, you want to check this out. But I mean, I I would venture to say if you're just a, a 70s classic rock fan, this is going to be right up your alley.
0: Yeah, it's really the story of what, of how hard these guys worked to make it, you know? So the book has already been reviewed by Record Collector Magazine and Classic Rock Magazine, both of which are a big deal. Writing for Record Collector, Rich Davenport remarks that I. Quote, "...skillfully construct a gripping, linear narrative that reads like a documentary." Writing for Classic Rock, John Aslewood remarks on my quote, "...forensic doggedness and "Stakhanovite zeal." I had to look that one up. It means an exceptionally hard-working or zealous person. So it would appear that "...stakonovite zeal is actually a redundant phrase." and also means something very similar to forensic doggedness. But I'll take it. Writing for On Milwaukee, Bobby Tanzilo called the book a, quote, fat and extremely readable oral history. And Bobby pointed out that I am not the cramp you see on TV. You see, there is a television reporter on Fox 6 News in Milwaukee named Brian Cramp.
4: Let's be honest, you could probably get chicken at any grocery store in Milwaukee, but there's one that's been putting out the premier poultry since 1948. I'm talking about Tower Chicken off of South 6th Street. They've been providing Milwaukee with the finest quality of fresh poultry and specialty food products for more than 70 years. Current owners Greg and Lori know how to handle a full line of poultry, including chicken, turkey and duck and they also carry items that are harder to find like goose, pheasant and rabbit. It's their Polish heritage that's led them to produce favorites like their dumplings as well as their pierogies and their soups And there's sausages as well. If you go check out the store, you'll see that there's many reasons that you're going to want to shop there when it comes to not only the meat, but also what goes with the dish. From the sauces to the rubs and the spices, they have a little bit of everything. Chicken, pork, beef, extensive selections with Polish, Cajun, Italian, hot dogs, Hungarian, Slovenian, brats. If you're looking for meat for opening day, for Easter or for just a normal weekly meal, they have it for you. All right, you ready for this one? I'm from ready. From Suzanne, okay? From Suzanne. All right, why are chickens so amazing? I don't know. Why are chickens so amazing? Because! <laughs> 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 I like it. I
2: like it. I knew it was, was going to be a foul <laughs> joke, but I like it anyway. Oh.
3: That's pretty.
4: Uh, that was good. Because!
0: I have to say one of my proudest moments over the course of this saga was when Ira Robbins, the former editor for Trouser Press Magazine, a music writer and critic who I've long admired, wrote an effusive blurb for the back of the book. Ira wrote that, Brian Cramp's amazing forensic investigation into the band's prehistory and early days does for cheap trick what Mark Lewisone did for the Beatles. Unravel myths, pin down elusive details, reveal surprising facts, identify relevant characters, and put it all in historical context. I thought I knew the story, but I learned a lot. I recently had a conversation with Ira Robbins about the book and about his thoughts and experiences relating to Cheap Trick.
3: Well, congratulations again on the book. It's really great. I really had, you know, found it quite eye-opening and, and detailed and, and uh, uh, articulate, and all those good things are really... Uh, hit the mark. So, bravo.
0: Wow. Thank you. Yeah, you know, after reading the blurb that you wrote for me, uh, my attitude is like, well, this was already a success no matter what else happens. <laughs> you know, no well, matter how many you know, copies I sell, I already feel like, okay, this was worth it.
5: <laughs> so well,
3: That's very very generous of you. You know, I mean, I kind of feel like, like, you know, I, I, I was there, you know, for part of the early days, and I did a lot of stuff, but... But, you know, I I, I hardly think that I'm the authority that i like to imagine myself to be just because there's so much stuff that has happened and I haven't really kept up with it the way I might have. And, you know, I've forgotten stuff and, you know, I I certainly wasn't there for all of it. So, you know, it's really, I found it really um, rewarding and and helpful to sort of read all of that stuff like kind of lined up and, and, you know, detailed and all the stuff that, you know, when I was writing about them in the seventies, was kind of like I think it's sort of like this, but you know, you actually did the research and got the the details. Obviously, you you had a, had the benefit of, of of being you know more in the place than than I ever was.
0: Yeah, yeah. I felt like if I'm going to do this book, this is the the time to get all of this stuff nailed down as well as I possibly can. You know, who mm-hmm. was Rick? Who was Rick playing with at this point? And at this point, because you hear you know that you've always heard these stories about these, all these different projects but it was always seemed kind of convoluted and you weren't sure
3: and a lot of the stuff that, that you know, they, they said in the early days were lies. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, that that threw a lot of people off the track because, you know, they would kind of like repeat the same things over and over again. You know, like the band would make up a story on Monday and they would get repeated for a month and then the band would make up a different story on Tuesday. And then people would be like, wait, that's not what they said, you know. like That's not what I read, you know. they They certainly didn't make it easy for people like you and I.
0: No. <laughs> it means a lot to me that you... Like the book so much and appreciated it i mean that's you know that's the exact kind of validation that you know would make like i said make me feel like well uh, you know i pulled it off <laughs> so
3: i kind of imagine that anybody that you know seriously interested i mean you know I, i'm certainly far from the only writer who spent a lot of time ruminating on cheap trickle years and you know years and years ago I mean, carrie baker for sure and you know mm-hmm. um you know and, and now doug broad you know put his two cents in you know a lot of people have done it so like i don't feel as if i'm the only person to have an opinion about this stuff so i'm sure i'm sure anybody that you know that 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 cares is going to have the same feeling about it that i did you know which was about your book you know which is that you know you really lined it all up and got it all down you know once and for all
0: yeah well i had the opportunity so it was like you know i i kind of anticipate getting some complaints about there's too much about what happened before cheap trick it takes too long to get to to cheap trick but Mm -hmm. this was the venue to get all like you said get it all down so right right um
3: yeah no i i think i think i think the effort was worthwhile you know i mean i think you know that there doesn't need to be another book like this because you know the story after you left you know you leave it off you know it just isn't that interesting i mean it's just you know kind of the ups and downs and the backs and forths and all that other stuff but you know i mean it's it's the after story really and you you got the you know the meat of the matter
0: yeah that's what i've said it's like everybody knows the story of being a rock star and also everything becomes much more secretive and sheltered and nobody's going to tell you the real stories and plus you know with tom being out of the band and you know it's not it's a much it's a much messier story of Cheap Trick in the 80s and uh
3: yeah yeah and 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 certainly less happy and less yeah. less entertaining i mean you know yeah. you don't really need to to hear you know oh yeah they they hired this producer and that didn't work out and then they hired that producer and you know they got pushed around by their label and i mean you know the, the amount of coverage that musical artists get now compared to in the 70s and 80s is just so vast that you know that that if you really want to know what's been going on just read you know it's been reported you know i mean whereas the you know uh, unraveling you know the beginnings of a band when no one was paying attention and nobody was writing about them that's the challenge Mm -hmm. and and, you know so I, i think that that's why you know the book that you wrote is really valuable because it does the 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 research into this stuff that nobody was really paying attention to i mean no nobody nobody was 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 reporting on like oh you know two musicians from rockford have moved to philadelphia and are playing with the remnants of naz you know like (laughs) like, nobody cared right so I,
0: i don't know how much you've talked about it or or have been asked about it but i wonder what you remember about your very first impression of cheap trick was it just seeing the first album and then hearing the first album, was that just... Or, or had you seen them... Did you know who they were before you got the first album, or was that just your first introduction to them?
3: That was my first introduction to them. I was in Bruce Harris's office at Epic, and he pulled it, pulled out a white label and said, Hey, I've got to play you this. You'll like this. And he played me maybe like one or two songs off the first album, and I was like, Ah, that's really cool. And then, then they came through town... Um, at some point later, I, I mean, I, I could work out the dates, but I don't have them on top top of my head. Uh, and played the Yorkville Palace, mm-hmm. which was a short-lived venue on the Upper East Side. And I was completely knocked out by them. And then I did an interview with them in the uh, the Oak Room of the Plaza Hotel, <laughs> and uh, got you know I, I liked them even more. So it was very it was kind of very very organic and sequential of like you know album show interview. Although well, actually, the interview may have taken place right before the show. I can't remember now. I mean, again, I've got the dates, but I don't have it by to, to, to hand.
0: Did they strike you as like a, a new wave band or even in the punk realm at first, or what? Where did they neither. fit? No, neither.
3: Neither. I mean, I, I think that was one of the things that I really liked about them was that they were not one or one or the other. Right. You know, they weren't a punk band, but they were punky, and they weren't a new wave band, but they were hip. You know, and I, I mean, my I had pretty high demand radar for like hipness, right? You know, of, of what I thought was hip. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't interested in Kiss or you know, or, or Aria Speedwagon or mm-hmm. or Styx or Van Halen. I was interested in bands that had you know personality and character and color and charm and all those other things. You know, intelligence and wit. And and they kind of hit all those those buttons all at once. It was kind of like overload for me. You know, it was kind of like I mean, I, I, there's obviously a, a, a metaphorical thing to say, but but it was like uh, or hyperbolic things to say, but it was it was as if like everything I ever wanted in a band had suddenly been assembled for me and put in front of me.
0: Right. Yeah. W- were you like a fan of Slade and Sweet and those bands?
3: Oh yeah, very much. So. Right.
0: Right. So they had a lot of that in there at the same time. So. I I certainly
3: appreciated the move, the move, uh, uh, you know, connection, that mm -hmm. that they, that they were fans and that they, you know, they quoted band, you know, move songs and, and that they knew what, who the move were. I mean, you know, that was another thing was that they were, you know, Rick and Tom were so, and Bunny were very British oriented and, you know, Trouser Press was started as a, a British rock fanzine, basically. And so, you know, that kind of was another point in their favor was that they were angled in the same direction that, that we were.
0: Yeah. A lot of Rick's influences for his songwriting, were the same bands that Trozer Press kind of championed. Absolutely,
3: you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and I've always had an affinity for, like, the Midwest and stuff like that. My father was born in Chicago, and so, you know, as little as as few American bands as I cared about in, in like, 1976 or 77, um, you know, the fact that there was a, a band that, that I did like that came from the Midwest was kind of also a, a good thing in my my book.
0: Right. Yeah, they kind of I, I i marvel at how they kind of had their own sunset strip slash maxis kansas City in the midwest that they uh-huh. and they were like yeah. the the kings of it
3: hum and hannah yeah no it's yeah. true I, I, but I, I mean but it's also that they they had you know the personalities of midwesterners you know i right. mean they were I mean, for all of the bravado and the you know the arrogance and the rock star, you know, we're going to be rock stars. You know, they were also kind of humble and insecure and timid and and you know, home homey. You know, they were they were they were they were basically were nice guys, which you know, was not something you always encountered in in you know '70s rock bands.
0: That's one thing I've heard a lot. Like when I would talk to like Jay Messina or somebody mm-hmm. like that, like, the he would just say, you know, the fir- my first impression was really nice guys, just really friendly, nice guys. That's just, like, uh, what I heard from a lot of people.
3: Yeah, I mean, the fact that Bunny was a record collector, you know, I mean, I, I, there were just a lot of good things that, that they had that registered with me. I mean, you know, I mean, I play guitar, and so the fact that Rick was a guitar freak was interesting to me, and Bunny was a record collector, you know, and, and the bands that we could talk about were all bands that I knew of
0: what do you think of pato <laughs> cuz
3: that's I always a... like pato you do yeah 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 i mean ollie halls is a great guitar player but but the, i have one of their albums that has this really really strange song on it in which like there's like this dialogue and it's like oh mommy you know and it's like this sort of weirdly it's um it's kind of uh, uh, incestuous I mean, like, literally incestuous sounding. It's kind of a really odd little story. and it's, it's very creepy. But, you know, um, I mean, Mike Pato's voice was a little bit harsh, hard to take because it was so harsh, but but Ollie's guitar playing is amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I've listened to Pato, but I've never really found anything I liked about it. I uh-huh. remember seeing a quote from Billy Corgan where he said that Rick kept talking about Pato and, and Billy bought one of their records for like 50 bucks and he just hated it. It's like, <laughs> What is this? <laughs> and that's the one that I, I, cause I try to figure out where Rick's cause I think Rick's songwriting was so unique and different. And I try to figure out where it kind of comes from. you can hear a lot of like Alex Harvey and Roy Wood in it, of course, But I don't hear the Pato, but there must be, like, elements of it that just, you know, he's got this whole conglomeration of influences that, you know, work into it. But I've never really heard the Pato in there.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it may not be much, it may not be a songwriting influence. I think he just really admires Ollie as a guitar player. Right,
0: right, right
3: same way that like you know i mean every 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 american rocker worth their salt is going to acknowledge free but i don't think very many people want to write songs that sound like like free songs but
0: yeah true
3: but i mean but but you have a guitar player like paul Kassoff, and it's like it's you know you're gonna you're gonna stand up and salute because he was such an amazing player
0: yeah so what is your favorite cheap trick album is it the first album
3: yeah, I would have to say. So, yeah. I mean just because that's the one that to me has all the elements that made them great in one place at one time.
0: Yeah, that's it's yeah. it's it's a document of the club band which mm-hmm. is I mean so amazing. I mean the the yeah, the cheap trick in the clubs in the Midwest at that time with those songs, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me. And so it I it is wonderful that we have that record where Jack Douglas just basically tried to to get their live show Mm -hmm. and, and pick their craziest songs. And so it is really great that we have that because it is just, it is a document of cheap trick in the clubs, which is, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's great to have.
3: It always bugged me that like that, that when I talked to Tom about like, the amazing 12-string bass sound on that album because well, I didn't have a 12-string bass then no. that's, like a, that's a jazz master I'm like really how, how did you get that sound because I played through guitar amps
0: yeah yeah
3: well, which makes perfect sense I mean I know exactly what that sounds like you know because because you put a bass through a guitar amp and you get like less bottom and more top
0: yeah Bunny told me they almost never recorded the 12 string bass and one of the reasons because the engineer would always say i can't record that thing <laughs> the uh-huh. engineers would just say no it right, doesn't right. work and then bunny <laughs> said they would like record the bass and then they would record like a guitar part to go with the bass to try to to, re- to recreate the 12 string Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. but he That's said he said if tom would ever pull that thing out of the studio the engineers would just say no <laughs> right right <laughs> What was your reaction when In Color came out? That was it. Did it feel like a really drastically different approach to Cheap Trick that record, or?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I I, I can't recall. I mean, it, it must have done because it, it is a drastically different record. But, but I think I think I was enthusiastic enough about the band that I just kind of like accepted it and and you know and and loved it for what it was. You know, I mean, there's a lot a lot a lot to like about that record. I yeah. mean, you know, so much. Like, like southern girls goes goes a long way towards you know towards selling that record for me you know it's kind of like you know there's that's exactly what i expect them to be doing you know and so um you know it's just there's some stuff on that record that's different but but you know a lot of it is really the same you know And, and obviously the songs were most of the songs were left over from the first album anyway so it wasn't as if like you know they had changed the writing it was just more the you know the the, the the cleaned up studio sound. It, it was fine. I mean, I, I I didn't have any real qualms about it. I mean, I want you to want me is a little bit you know hard to take just because, you know, it was just such a, such a such a poppy record. You know, but but otherwise, yeah, no, I I, I I didn't have any problem with that record.
0: Yeah, I love that album, but it really mm-hmm. is so different from the first album, that it yeah. must must have been. It seems like it must have been kind of jarring, at first.
3: Yeah, but but I mean, but I mean, obviously. You, you, it was obvious that they had, they had cleaned up the sound, I mean, in a sense of, of, you know, toning everything a little down and, 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 and isolating the instruments better, and, and you know, but, but it, it was really the same band, I think. You know, I, didn't, don't, don't, I don't remember thinking, like, you know, they sold out or anything like that. And yeah. I, that certainly, you know, and it's funny because I, a lot of times I've had very extreme reactions to what in retrospect seem like fairly minor changes in direction. You know, there's, there's records by bands that I loved, you know, for two albums, and they made a third album, and it's like, oh, this is complete garbage. And now I've, you know, and in doing my books recently, I kind of went back and re-listened to some of that stuff, and it was like, wait, this sounds exactly like the one before it. I mean, like the differences are really minor. <laughs> so I don't know what it was that set me, you know, completely off like that, as if it had been, you know, as if they had like completely changed direction, and they ha- they hadn't. They had maybe like made some some corrections or something like that. So. I'm surprised that that my reaction to in color wasn't as as extreme as it might have been, but I, I I don't think it was. I don't I don't think I don't remember you know being disappointed or horrified or any of those things.
0: Well, the songs are pretty great, so it's yeah, for sure. Yeah. But do you remember how it felt when when Budokan blew up and Cheap Trick became a, a huge band?
3: Well, I mean, I've 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 gone through this with a bunch of bands that I've liked, where you know all of a sudden kind of a private little club became like a public, you know, free-for-all. Um, and it's always a little disappointing to feel like it's been taken out of your hands. But, you know, I don't really remember. I mean, Budokan blew up in sort of a weird way, right? I mean, it was it was a uh, an import that, you know, that everybody who liked the band had. And I was, you know, I, 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 I was a big fan of the import. Um, and then they just kind of released it. and It was like, okay, more people bought it. But, so, like, it didn't really, that didn't really have much of an impact on me, I don't think. Like, I don't remember thinking like, oh, now that it's been released, it's really going to happen. mean, I certainly was a cheerleader for the band, so I was happy to see them have success. You know, I, I de- definitely felt as if they were kind of entering a new dimension that wasn't that I wasn't really part of. You know, and and I think that kind of did happen, you know, where their accessibility changed and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, they got on the radio and they got on TV and stuff. But, I, you know, I, I mean, I had other things going on in my life at that time, so I, I, I don't remember it being anything that I had a very strong feeling about.
0: Okay, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I guess the the only other question I have here is if you have any, like, favorite cheap trick stories or any, you know, any cheap trick story that you wanted to share.
3: Oh, yeah. I get a call from Rick one day, and he says, come meet me for lunch. He's in the city. And I'm like, okay. And I go to this restaurant in, the, in Midtown someplace, and I, I think it was probably... At the time, because this is in the seventies, sometime probably the only s- substantial Japanese restaurant in the city, you know, a sushi bar, right? So we, they, they, had been to Japan, of course, and had developed a, you know, at least a, a, a familiarity with sushi. So I get there, and it's him, and I'm trying to think, probably Tom, and Gene and Paul from Kiss, and you know, they, they'd all been to Japan, and they, you know, they were basically versant. I had never had Japanese food before. Gene starts, like, talking about the miso soup in front of him and referring to it as snot soup. And they basically trick me into eating a big glob of wasabi. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and I'm, like, you know, completely humiliated in front of these, like, you know. Successful rock stars you know who 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 are, are friendly but not entirely impressed by me and and i and I'm sitting there with like smoke coming out of my ears and tears coming streaming down my face and you know gulping at water you know I, I, you know, you know what it's like to have like like an o d of, of of wasabi it's like you feel like like the back of your nose has gone on fire
0: yeah, I actually one time unwittingly. <laughs> took like a fork full of wasabi, and then had to sit there and pretend like nothing was wrong, you know, with my friends. <laughs>
3: but this was my introduction to Japanese food with yeah. Rick and 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 Gene and, and and a pile of wasabi, and so you know, and and I'd never even had raw fish before, so that was all you know, a big challenge. It was kind of like doing the best I could, but uh, yeah, that that was that was memorable.
0: Okay, so, well, yeah. thank you so much, Ira. I mean, like I've like I tell people before, the internet. Trouser Press was, a was an amazing resource. The books, and then I, at, at some point, I found a stash of the old magazines at a record store in Milwaukee, and uh-huh. it was like, the, because it was so hard to find out about stuff, and, you know, back then, sure, and, uh, and as, you know, being kind of a, becoming really obsessed with collecting records in the 90s, it was like, Trouser Press was really important to me, and, uh, you know, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, I really appreciate what you've had to say about the book and the blurb you wrote is just amazing. So thank you very much. And, you know, it means a lot to me.
3: Oh, you're quite welcome. And you you earned it. And, you know, I hope the book does really well. gonna tear tear me apart It was a time of the century
6: when I was just a virgin All the girls are losing control
0: Up next, we're going to hear a fascinating recording from March of 1977. This is Howie Klein, who was a big part of the San Francisco music scene in the late 70s. He was on the radio, wrote for the local papers, and co-founded 415 Records. This is a recording of a conversation Howie had with Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander. Obviously, it was not for the radio, so it must have been for an article that Howie was writing. It's a pretty casual conversation. You almost feel like a fly on the wall. But Rick and Robin still perpetuate some of the false information from the fake bio put out by the record company. They talk about Bunny being born in Venezuela and Tom being born in Sweden, and they can't even be honest about their ages. Robin says that he's 22, even though he's 24, and Rick tells Howie that Bunny Carlos is in his late 30s, but Bunny was 26. For the sake of time and because it wasn't that interesting, I cut off the beginning of the recording. Except for this great quote from Rick Nielsen.
1: How come these guys are good looking and the other guys aren't good looking? No, I don't know. I can't help that. That was to talk, to talk to our parents or something.
0: All right, so let's listen in on Howie Klein talking to Rick and Robin in March 1977. This is two months after the band's first album had come out. Actually, we could pin it down that this conversation is happening on March 23rd because... They played the old Waldorf in San Francisco on the 22nd and 23rd. And you'll hear them talking about the show the night before and the show that's going to be happening that night.
5: You two, are the American guys, you're both Americans? Yeah, I'm American. And, and you were too?
1: Yeah. A drummer, base he was born in Venezuela, but he didn't live there all his life. Yeah. So talk, well, you'd have to talk to him yourself to know what he's like. Yeah. And, and the other guy, he was sure. born in Sweden, but he, he lived, uh, he grew up in America. So we're really, we think we're, we are Americans, so it's not like it's some international group, although we have different backgrounds that make it sound more international than it really is. We're we're an American band.
6: We're coming to your
5: town. (laughs) Yeah, how'd it go over in New York when you played there?
1: Excellent. We just got things from Soho Times, Daily News. Great. Great,
6: yeah. We did real well. A lot of people showed up. A lot of record company people and ICM people. We Bottom did, line was that what it was? no.
1: It was a place called Yorkville Palace Theater, eighty fifth in Lexington. Mm-hmm. If you know New York, no. Mm-hmm. Susan Blaine was uh, kind of the hostess of the party. Mm-hmm. She organized it. She threw a big party after. Yes, we were on cable vision for two and a half hours. The party was. We got interviewed by Rolling Stone. We got interviewed by Cream. We got interviewed by the Collecting. Collectors' magazines. Plus, there were a lot of
6: other groups there, like, old uh, stand, old standings. Old standings. And relation so was there. pretty well. You uh-huh. know, uh, guys and kids did.
1: Yeah. They like us. They they saw us uh, in New York, and not this time. They'd seen us before, and since then, they they've been like real big boosters of our group, and they do uh, they did a, a radio
6: and Rodney Sean said that they that we were their favorite band.
5: All right. That helps. You reminded me more of ACDC than of KISS though.
1: I've never seen them.
5: No? Uh-uh. Never? No, never. I've never seen them. I've of course, of them? heard
1: them, yeah, because I, I read I read a, every music paper I can, so it's not I can't claim that I know nothing about these different people. But uh, I've never seen them. I don't, know what I don't really know what they're like. I saw the guy in the front cover. He's got shorts and a hat on, so I if I wear shorts, I'll think I'm
5: Guy's name too. <laughs> Pardon. I forgot his name also.
1: Angus. All oh, right, Angus. Yeah. Don't know anything about him though. I don't know. Is there music like ours? But yeah, well, not
5: you know, not really. He's you know good guitar playing in the band. It's a hard rock, hard driven band. You didn't hear the music?
1: No, I don't know the music. No. Good music. Uh. So you saw the show? What did you uh, you said you were knocked out? Or you were, you were, I don't know what you said. You said something on the elevator. It was a good show. I thought it was a great show. We mm-hmm. stayed for both sets. I'm coming back to see it tonight. All right, sets yeah. tonight will be pretty much the same. That's all right. <coughs> we do have more material. We, like when we play in the. T- we're off tomorrow. We're off. We're flying from here to Chicago, and then we'll get a night's sleep, and then we play in Kenosha, Wisconsin tomorrow. Or it's Friday. And there we'll do three sets, because we're the only act there. We'll do three sets of all different stuff. So there's a complete other set of things that we do do live. Plus, we've probably got maybe four more sets of things that we just don't do. Things that we've done when we started that we've thrown out. And just We've got so much material we, don't, we can't do it all.
5: What kind of, uh, what kind of audience do you play for in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Is it college or something like
1: that? College. Kids. Rock and rollers, rock kids. and roll kids. Yeah,
5: it, I mean, what is it? Is it a, a club or a theater? This is a real.
1: a club. It's a big. We play real big clubs like in the Midwest, like 1,200, 1,500. You know, bigger than where we're playing here. And Procol was playing here. That's, I thought that was kind of crazy. That's
5: amazing. I mean, no one could believe it.
1: Plus, mm. it's, with their new album, I would think they would. It's
5: incredible. Yeah,
1: you know, good. That's nice because I I like the intimacy of a small place too. A smaller place. Yeah. But we we play a lot of big balls. Like, yeah. We're Friday we're in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Saturday we're in Detroit, Cobo Hall with Boston, and Sunday we're in St. Cloud, Minnesota with Kansas. And then Monday we're in uh, Madison, Wisconsin playing a real big place, about twelve hundred people there. And then the next night we're in Milwaukee playing with, uh, I think we're playing with ourselves there, uh, <laughs> a theater yeah, a little theater. It's about 1,500. And all these places will be full when we go out there. Mm-hmm. And then we have a day off. Not a day off again. It's a day to fly out. because the, Then the first we're at the Santa Monica Civic Center with the runaways.
3: No. That's, at the Santa Monica Civic <laughs> so, the
1: Yeah, a, that's the first. And then the, then the second we're in Rockford, Illinois. We're we to fly back. We fly back. The second, then the third we're in Denver. And the fourth we start in Austin, Texas with a tour with the Kinks. Which last till May ninth. That should
5: be nice. That's a good audience for you right? Yeah,
1: we played it on the did well. So we work a lot. The, the 290 nights, it seems like it's more than that to me. With the, it's the, a lot of nights. But their travel days were just, like, unbelievable.
5: The Ramones said something like, they said, Oh, we've been playing so much this year, we did nine dates already. This <laughs> is just a
1: couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Nine dates? brother. <coughs> We
5: do nine shows a week, at least. Yeah. You know, the, what ha- let's see, what happened with me is I got your record in the mail, and I don't know what, oh yeah, the cover made me put it on. I thought it was a nice cover. I wouldn't want to pass it up. Cause usually I get like you know, 20 records a day, and I sell them without listening to them mostly. But this one, because of the cover, I thought, okay, I'll put it on. And it sounded really good. I loved it. Then... Uh, the record review section of Cyclone was, was all finished, and they had like a few more inches, and they said, "Hey, could you do a record review quick?" So I said, "Sure," you know, and I thought, "Oh yeah, maybe I'll do this cheap trick record." So I just reviewed it, reviewed it real quick. Mm-hmm. Then Pat, sort, Ceciliano. Ceciliano, and he knows I write in a lot of gay papers, uh-huh. so he called up and he said, "Hey, let's get these band, let's get this band out to the gate audience. Uh-huh. So I said, uh, why are they gay? He said, well, I don't know, but like two of the guys are real good looking. Let's, uh, you know, people do really <laughs> like them. <laughs> Capitalize So I <laughs> said, well, I don't think that's going to like, you know, I don't think that's going to do it at all, Pat. So he said, well, you know, wait till you see them, wait till you see them. So then when you guys were coming to town, I was down in LA when, when you were playing at the Starwood, but it didn't work out for me to go and see you that night and do other stuff. And I figured, I knew you were coming up here. So then I came to see you guys, and you know, and that's like that's not like a valid thing to write about, like you know, some guys are good looking, doesn't do it. But what, what interested me to do a story in the Advocate anyway was um, your stage persona, which is which seemed like very, um, very you know, like really more blatantly gay sorry. and seductive than yeah. than even Mick Jagger. I mean, a different kind of approach. I mean, you know, like uh, coquettish even and flirty.
1: Write
5: about it. Yeah, I know. you're the writer, so oh, you I'm gonna write about it. You know, you know I, 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 want, I want you to say something though. <laughs> <Duh. Like> what? <laughs> uh, I don't know. want oh, you say yes, I'm gay or no, I'm gay. Great. You know, you don't say that. No, you, if you want to, you can. You don't have to. No mm-hmm. one ever says that. Right, no, no, you I don't know. say that. But you, but I don't know. You can say something else. You could say, uh, I like to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Well, you could, I like to you have fun. Say, oh, great! <laughs> you could say.
1: <laughs> I don't say anything about that. No. Um, There's a few people that know. Let's put it that way. Nah, <laughs> that,
5: that, that's not really what I meant. Anyway, I mean uh-huh. you know, that's you know that's not that's neither here nor there. Wait, but
1: you gotta but write something. So you you write what, what, that, you, what you yeah. what you saw. Right. That's the best. And see if you're right, if you're wrong or you're right it doesn't make much difference. I think it's. it's it's getting, uh, it's getting press. I think it's worth. It. <laughs> but uh, if you have an opinion, if you think what uh, what we're doing, then that's that's the best way to do it, because people they'll come up to me and they'll say, "Hey, you guys are a." One guy told us in New York. He says, "I know the story behind your group." And he went on. And he says, "Oh, what was it? it?" I've heard the album thirty eight times. Blah, 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 blah and, and you hate the Beatles, and because of that, you're getting this in that you're doing this. And this. he had it all done. I says, "Jesus." Good, how do you right? know? How do you know so much? Whether he's right or wrong, I didn't. I didn't say, and I'm not saying now. But it's, uh, I think it's neat that people can come up with uh, things. Their own right thing or part. wrong, <laughs> I think, because that's what cause that's what we do. We uh, we interpret a, a few chords and make it into something that's different from someone else that uses the same chords. Yeah. And uh, we're we're four people on stage, but how, we're doing it different than than other people are doing. So writing is the same way, like some of them. You see this, and you amplify it onto the paper. You you saw it this way. The next guy saw it this way. One guy
6: said that he didn't think that in New York that not one, not any two people out there had the same opinion of the group. Just by watching the group, everybody kind of got a different reaction. Besides,
1: besides the good and bad, you guys are really great. You guys are really terrible. But after that, then they all have a different idea about what we're doing that's, and why we're that's doing. it. That's interesting, because yeah. for me, like I, you know, was writing down my ideas
5: about what I thought I was seeing last night, and then I thought, well, you know, everyone's just gonna think the same thing, you know. I oh mean, no! I thought, oh yeah! No I mean, way! <laughs>
1: we got we got one review. Already. We we thought the same way, didn't we? Or not? No. Oh great! We, <laughs> <never did. No. laughs> we had uh, two. Almost every album review has been excellent, but. There's been a couple, one, two of them, and these were two different cities and two different people. I'm sure didn't know each other. Said it was that we were the worst album of the year, it was mm-hmm. the worst album of '77. I mean,
6: it said it basically f- the same thing. Almost. From great
1: to the exact to the worst. Of course, we liked the review anyhow, mm-hmm. but it said it was the worst thing they'd ever heard. Mm-hmm. Great, and it should be cut out soon, and it shouldn't have been released. Also,
6: anymore. both reviews were very short, and they were. You know,
5: just kind of like hatred reviews. Jesus, that's great. That's it's like uh, Pat wants to pay them to do that. <laughs> well,
1: these were in the Midwest where we're popular, so. Yeah, yeah, there was
5: one reviewer there last night who you know didn't seem to care for you. Can't win them all. No, <laughs> but uh, we don't
1: patronize them. I mean, we're not. Uh, we don't ask you to come up to write good reviews or write good stuff. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> that's up to the reviewer. So, I mean, we don't. We don't hate the people who write terrible stuff. <laughs> it doesn't make it, Maybe he's in a bad mood, because we know we know what we're like, uh, up to a point. I mean, we we can't do the thinking for you. or thinking for our audience, but uh, we know how well we play and when we play real well, and if that the songs are good, and, if, and if we make our own decisions. Like if we don't like a song, we'll throw it out anyhow. It'll we'll censor our own stuff before it gets censored by the audience by people booing us or something. So we know. What's going on? So get a bad memory. In our heart we know we're right.
5: That's that's good. That's that's something I could write down. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what what I thought about you guys last night. Like I said, like you I just felt like you were doing uh, this blatant rock parody and you t- you were you know, just being you know, kind of a rock star. And you were, you know, doing your guitar so good and just, just
1: showing that it's just so easy to do. In a way, nothing too. Eyes closed, drinking a beer, smoking, doing all kinds of stuff. I—that's th- just the, I. I just do that stuff because I think it's funny. You no, know, oh, it guys. is. It's Cause great. I, if you notice, I don't think I make. Uh, I make funny faces, but I don't make guitar player funny faces. I don't. Like that, I can't stand. You can work stuff. that in. That'd be cute. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I—I've done it before. I, because I like I like all those guitar players that stand up there and there hmm. When uh,
5: when you're playing, <laughs> I always think
1: that's funny to me. So then I always I always act like I'm not really playing much. And but if you listen to what I'm doing, I really I really think I'm pretty good. I'm not great. I'm a little George McGraw. You yes, said you were great. Though. You know. Who <laughs> said that? The
5: bass player said you were the best. Oh, oh, you said it. <laughs> well, I deserved. See, everybody's saying it. Right. All right.
1: Yeah, got got him fooled too. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yes, I am great, but not on great standards of, of certain people. I, I play what I do great. There's no one who can touch what I play. I don't know. But then I, there's certain areas I don't play great, and I don't uh, profess to be great at jazz. But I'm a, I'm a great faker in jazz. I can play stuff that sounds like I really know what I'm doing.
5: A lot of
1: right.
5: Mm-hmm. When you're when you're playing in front of larger audiences, can you maintain that uh, that rapport that you have? I mean I was impressed when you uh, when they had an equipment breakdown, and you just talked to the audience. Right. Do you have you done that in front of a couple thousand people? I sure
1: have. Sometimes it works real good. Sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. It depends on depends on what the audience is like like last night. was real intimate there. You play in a large hall if uh, maybe you're the opening act, they don't know who you are, they don't care who you are, they want to know, all they want to see is the, the headline act, or if even if you're the second in line, uh, they can be restless, they don't want to know about it, they just soon get you over, you, they wish you'd play five minutes and get out of there, even if they like you, you know, you're geared up oh gee, I can't wait to see Led Zeppelin, uh, who's this crappy Jeff Beck on here, who's this Ted Nugent, we don't want to hear him, but later they'll say, oh, yeah, geez, pretty good, but you know, you're geared because you want to be doing this other thing, so so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, we've really been going along with big audiences really well. We opened the two first dates on the Queen Tour, and those were 10,000 peas. That was
6: even before the album was out. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you did okay?
5: We did oh, great. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because where, where were you playing with them? What's in Madison it? and Milwaukee. Madison, Dane County, Coliseum, Milwaukee. I don't know. I, I interviewed Thin Lizzy a
1: couple of days ago, a right. week ago. And Phil they told me they did terrible. Phil was just really not happy at all with the Queen thing. Yeah. We heard there was a chance that we were going to go. Uh, they asked us to do some more dates with so the Queen did. But they said Thin Lizzy was on the whole tour. Yeah. And then Queen so dropped off for a while. You
5: know Pardon? Queen dropped off the tour for a while.
6: Yeah, because of Freddie's voice.
5: Well, uh, you know, the, the night before Queen was blown off the stage by Thin Lizzy here in San Francisco, oh. and then they just, uh, you know, coincidentally happened to drop off the stage for the rest of the California dates. With Thin Lizzy's a lot more popular than Queen. That seems to me what happened anyway. I don't know if that's just my opinion or not, but uh, you know, like. Tim Lizzie was saying that they were being oppressed by Queen, you know, you can't do this and you can't use these lights and this kind of bullshit. Oh yeah, that
1: happens to us. Sure. Lots of shows. It
5: happens to you? Oh sure. yeah, all the time. What happens?
1: <laughs> Same thing. That's what happens. We don't get Give all the PA, lights. we don't get all the lights. The, us, like, Sure, we're on a different scale. Like when we play in the Midwest and we'll have a backup group, we'll let them have whatever they want. It's a big deal. I mean, people really come to see us and... They're not, we don't we get uptight about that kind of stuff. A lot of the m- major acts and the groups that are out, up and they this. Oh man, we've been struggling too long. Fuck these guys, we're, not, we're gonna uh, do the same that has been done to us, the, the negative golden rule. I'll tell you something. There's groups that uh, have done it to us. I'm not gonna mention names because we have to still work with them. Yeah. They know who they are. Well, next, in the next stone, yeah, they will never red.
6: forget who they are. So. <laughs> no. no, we would probably
5: never. We wouldn't do, do that the same thing. thing That's what Finn Lizzy told me like three days before they did it. <laughs> I had a, you'll see it in the Rolling Stone. Like there's a thing in the Random Notes, like not the, this issue, but the issue after that, with a quote from Thin Lizzy saying what Queen did to them and how they would never do it. Three yeah, days yeah. later, them doing the same thing to Sammy and then Sammy talking about that.
6: Thing is, is. It doesn't seem they're really uptight, you know. They must be, or they wouldn't do it. And yeah. I, we, we're not uptight about our. Yeah, music. I mean, it's like somebody. We we're good, so.
1: Yeah, we're we're going to achieve a certain level, and we're going to be so good that. Uh, yeah. How good? Someone is going to be better than us in certain respects. Uh, I mean, there's not one band that I don't think is better than us in certain respects. No, also, that doesn't matter. But at the same time, we're better than any other band in our certain respects too. So it's, it's also, wouldn't
6: you rather go to a, a a hall and see two bands play and have a real good show and a real good time, than to come and see one band get unplugged or a crummy band play and then one you know, yeah band being a good band. Oh, actually, you know, it's always good to have a good show because you walk away with a good feeling. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, we wouldn't want. Make anybody sound terrible or anything like that. Yeah, because it just makes Jill. it our show. as part of our show as a band that's starting out, you
5: know. Like last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why'd you bring her along with you, guys? We didn't bring her. I <laughs> was <I'm> just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was uh, a last minute replacement. I heard she was like a secretary at the club. That's or something. what she said, yeah. Her and father uh, died of cancer. Or something. I don't know. Yeah. Grandmother walks her dog. So she was a. Uh, added because there was a, a Lieber-Krebs group who was supposed to back us up and they canceled like right before. So afraid I guess. There I you go. I read
5: Hilbert's review. <laughs> Did you, uh, wh- how big are you going to get? Huge.
1: That's what it said in there. How huge? Well, um... Some people say that on the Aerosmith level, mm.
6: that's what it said in the morning. Wasn't it Jack
5: Douglas <laughs> <Dulles> who <laughs> was your producing? No.
6: Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I just right talked right. to him this morning too early I talked to him because we're having a single coming up. Uh, He's a whore. That's the single, right? Right. No. <laughs> uh, this one, it's Candy, that tune. They're going to use that. I think there's a lot of songs out there that could be used sure. as a single. So, we've got to start somewhere so we'll use this and see how that goes. And I think any of them, once we're known, can be singles. So it, it just takes a long time. How huge can we be? I don't know. It's... That's the the audience is, is fickle and our audiences that, that know us love us. I mean, we have people that come and see us 50, 70, I 80, see 100 times. Everyone we were sitting with we said they're coming back tonight. <coughs> All right, people. it's uh, it'll be a lot the same, but you'll still see more. And it's like uh, like tonight, the things I'll say on stage, they won't be the same as I said last night because we'll it's not really planned. Some of it is you know, like a thank you. That's I usually say thank you if we get applause. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, but the the amps going out and me standing there and talking—that's not part of our show. How old are you guys? Uh, different ages.
5: Right. Which which are what? Which How old are you? Uh.
1: You could
6: pass for. Uh, well, that. No, I'm, I'm not even gonna 20s. guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm sixteen. And you? I'm twenty-two. You're okay, twenty-two. You're sixteen, and uh, 20 20 is uh. He's in his late thirties, I believe. And uh, Tom is 25, I think, 25 or 26.
5: <coughs> who, who, what what <coughs> bands do you
1: listen to? What are your favorite bands? I listen to radio. AM? AM radio, yeah. And I listen to uh, a lot of stuff I'll do is, uh, I just listen to bands that we play with, the backup bands. A lot of them I like them. I like a lot of the new bands that are out there. I like a lot of the old stuff, too. <laughs> I like them. Mr. Commit. Right. <laughs> no, I, we play with Kansas. I think they're really good. Oh, they're very good.
5: Instruction method records, mm-hmm. like what? Oh, Mel Bay, and things like that. Should, what are the What are the real good ones?
6: Mel Bay is a real good one.
5: Mel. That's
1: the one. That, yeah, Mel Bay. Mel Bay and High White, High White folklore books. Those are good too. Are you learning how to play?
6: Yeah. I picked up the guitar two
5: oh, years ago, and years years ago. I'm playing. I'm getting pretty good at it. All right. Yeah, it sounds okay. It sounds <laughs> good. You, I mean, you <laughs> could fool me. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know too much about it, but it okay. Do you play an instrument? Yeah, <laughs> harmonica. Oh. And you, are, you any, are you? Have you been listening to punk rock music?
6: No, not really. Um, I don't have any records. I don't even have a record player, except. I go over
1: to Rick's house once in a while and listen to his record Yeah, I've heard live. I heard the Ramones. I got a kick out of some of the stuff they do. Yeah. I there's I like almost every group that's out for some reason. Like I'll say a blanket statement like Gee, I like Kiss. Oh, a lot of people oh, they hate them so bad that that when you say that you put them off. Or I like I like the Ramones. Oh, you're sick. How can you do that? But at the same time say, oh gee, I like the Eagles. Oh, then the people that like KISS hate the hey, Eagles, Eagles or something. You know, you, you can't
5: win with Blanket State. It was great. Them. They had the Eagles before you, you, you guys came on last night. That was like the tape. The, the Eagles were really nice. What <laughs> uh, Contrast, huh? Yeah. Have you heard of the Dictators? I know who they are, but I've never heard You've them. Never heard of them? They're, uh, they, you, you had some elements of the Dictators in your uh, routine. Gee.
1: It's kind of neat since I've never seen him. Yeah, heard well, it doesn't of. mean you, you know, it comes from the same. Handsome Dick, Manitou Dick Manitou Heyman. No, Dick Manitou <laughs> Manitou, Right.
5: they're coming to here, in fact, uh, next week or oh,
1: Great,
5: well, say hello to them for us. I don't know them. There was a, yeah, there was a band on Epic that they would cut out like, uh, you know, like five days after their album came out.
1: Never did any ads for them or anything. Yeah. We were just at a couple, couple different places we've been have. uh, been sold out of a record they didn't they didn't think it was uh, you know, a new artist they ordered twenty-five copies or something and that's a lot of copies because the record company says hey order these and so they do probably reluctantly but they've been selling them seems like real well and uh, we'll see what happens to that we have a lot of people there. you said there's gonna be a lot of people there well guess I don't know see I, I mean the I'm you did not know, in charge of anything. The ones who were
5: there last night, the people that were there last night, told everyone they know that it was real good, so they're in a lot of people. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Never being here. Y'all,
0: right, we gotta get going. All right. Thanks for listening, and please get yourself a copy of my book. This band has no past. How cheap trick became cheap trick. Why should you buy my book?
3: It's
4: a dream and i this song The dream, the the
6: you sing this it's the dream, the dream is your home Come on, show on the
2: world Come on,
7: for Rockola. Tonight, we have a very interesting interview with the rock band Cheap Trick. I'll introduce them for you now. On your right, we have Bunny Carlos. How are we doing? And Robin Zander. Hello. On your left, we have...
8: Tom Peterson.
7: You want to go first?
8: No, I'm Rick Rick Nielsen. This is Tom Tom Peterson. Hello, Deirdre.
7: And I'm glad to have all of you here tonight. And I'd like to start off with Rick, since he's the most conversational. I'd like to ask you briefly how the band got started, how you formed, and where you formed.
8: Uh, we're, uh, we've been around for many a year. We started the group in Leningrad. That was the last uh, story we had when we were together last time, when Bill was doing this interview. And since he's been fired, uh, <laughs> the story is we still formed in Leningrad about five years ago, and, and we couldn't get any work, and plus none of us could speak... Uh, Speak the language, so we came back to the Midwest and we've been uh, playing in New York City and all over the world ever since. Does that make any sense?
7: That makes sense. It's a good reason to come back anyway. Can you tell me where all of you are from?
3: Bunny, where are you from originally?
6: I was born in South America and grew up in the Chicago area.
7: I,
8: I grew up in the Chicago area too.
7: So you're all basically from Chicago? Was that you, Rick?
8: I was born in Chicago and grew up in Venezuela. <sighs> you're right. Basically from Chicago.
7: Basically that area. Did you go to school together? Did you all grow up together or met afterwards, huh? No.
8: Uh, the school Bunny went to was torn down before I started.
7: Oh, I see. You're very young. You look young. No wrinkles no. yet from this visit. Not yet. Can you tell me a little bit about the band Fuse? I believe Tom and Rick started that band. You were in it together? Pardon? Were you in the band yeah. Fuse together? Yeah.
8: yeah. More we're we're still friends even after that <laughs> lousy group.
7: What kind of music did you play?
8: Uh, let's see I was was way ahead of its time It was uh, around 19 it should have been uh, released around 1998 or something like that. I think it was it was way way ahead of its time because it sounds it still sounds crummy. We're waiting for the right year maybe it'll sound good in a couple more years like a combination of buddy Rich big
1: band the Yardbirds, and
8: Tom Jones.
7: Did you have other members in your band? Or just the two of you or how many were in the band? Oh, it was okay. never a duo. <laughs> never a we can't, duo?
8: We can't take all the blame for that. Uh, there's more. There's there's some bad people in that group. Forget that. Nah. Okay. It wasn't no, a fine group, but uh, just... Uh, we'd rather not talk about... You're I'd rather talk you... about Cheap Trick. I don't
7: blame you. I just wanted to know about a, a briefly about your past. Uh. Okay. In the August issue of Crawdaddy, which you were in recently, I read the article. Very fine article. Days Anne McLean said you were the hottest opening act on a tour circuit in the Midwest. How does that make you feel? Are you excited, or have you? Do you feel like you finally made it on the rock scene, or?
8: Well, that was. Uh, that's her quote. I don't know. Uh, we well, How play, does
7: that we, make you feel? Do you, we
8: play a lot. Uh, that's all I can say. You, you know. Play we, a lot. We play uh, about uh, six or seven nights a week. So I mean, that's.
7: You're successful enough, right? That's all that matters? Enough?
8: No, never enough. No, never enough? No.
7: When all of you assembled and became cheap, cheap Trick, did you feel that there was something special amongst you, like, this is it, these guys really have it, we've got a good combination, we're going to go out there and show them about rock and roll and let everyone know that Cheap Trick is around? No? I thought Tom
8: had some special boots,
7: but he's
8: still wearing them. <laughs>
7: For oh, the... Midwest Boots? <laughs> I did. I thought this was it. I thought Cheap it.
8: Trick, this is the,
6: the group that's going to do it for me. It's my, the only group I've ever been in.
7: That's great. You're doing pretty well for your first band, don't you think? Yeah, I think I'm doing okay. That's good. What, what do you mean? think? <laughs> I think you're doing fantastic. I really well, do. Well, I enjoy we're, your we're music very much. i at
8: interview, but we're great <laughs> players, really. The band is excellent.
7: That's not true. You're good at an interview also. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks, I know man. you'll accept my compliments. Yes What part of the world would you say you're the most popular? Where your biggest friends come from? Japan?
8: <laughs> <laughs> the Amazon, the the Amazon. A- Or your family uh, or what? Uh, no, I'd say uh, we have uh, friends all over the world.
7: But yeah, is there one part of the country where they're really big on cheap trick, your sound, maybe it's they don't have that type of music there that much, and it really uh, caught on.
8: I would say Morristown, New Jersey.
7: Morristown, New Jersey? Well,
8: that's where we saw you last and it seemed good there. It's been great all over the place. What can I say? Did they
7: hang from the chandeliers in any of your concerts uh, or like go crazy?
8: Not in the real high spots. I mean, it's a, when it's a low ceiling, lots of people are always in chandeliers whenever we play. <laughs>
7: yeah, we, Especially you, right? Of course. Um, last year you played 301 Nighters. I'm wondering. Um, 302. 302 to be exact. Nighters. How does that feel? Does that really tire you out? Do you ever wish you could have a nine-to-five job and just come home, relax, turn on the tube, and have your wife make dinner for you? Do you prefer this life?
8: Ah,
1: Gia, at Holiday Inn, make dinner
7: for you. Right. Holiday Inn, how's your food?
1: Horrible.
7: Um, yeah. Howard Johnson, any better?
1: Hojo's bad.
7: Hojo's
8: bad. Uh, I said we shouldn't give anyone any press. No, I mean this. It's it's uh. It's our own choose, it's our own choice to be out on the road, and it's, we have to accept this, the crummy food and the the traveling around and going all over the world and getting paid for it. <laughs> it's the price you
7: have to pay for fame,
8: right? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. We like what we do, and we're, we, we play good music. What can I say? We play good music, and we, the food stinks a lot of the places, but the.
6: So hey, uh, we we would
8: we could it? do anything. I mean, Bunny could be a brain surgeon. Well, he was at one time, and I, Robin Zander. I mean, he's uh, he's done many things. I don't know how well he's done them, but he's done many you things.
7: You have any hobbies? No. No. What do you do when you don't play?
8: I always play.
7: You always play. Yeah. Anybody have any special hobbies or other interests?
8: I'm a magician.
7: You're a magician. Oh, boy! So I wish I knew yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. I had to bring and I love around. chemistry. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's
8: great. Well, it's Tom, I know you're too modest, but Tom used to be a great ballroom dancer.
7: Oh, fantastic. That's where you get your good moves on stage, right?
8: I did not know. He didn't say that. No. He didn't. Know. You said that. You've never seen <laughs> Listen, him dance. are
7: spreading rumors around. Are you? No. Okay, let's move on to other subjects. When you pl- started playing in clubs, you were playing original music. Did you find it hard, the audience wouldn't accept original music, or did they take to you right away? I know that's that pr- depends on the time. Yeah. Well, don't you find that overall people want to hear the top 40 or things they're familiar with, they don't want to hear what other people are playing, or what? What is the story?
8: I, that was a little weird, the way you phrased <laughs> that, but... Uh,
7: I know I'm a little uh,
8: weird. I say, we didn't want to play the top 40, we wanted to play original tunes, and so we just uh, said, look, we're going to do this, and if it works, great, and luckily it did, because we built a big following in, in the two years before we recorded, so uh, we built a big following in the Midwest and in the West Coast and stuff like that, just by going out and doing original stuff, and people did like us.
7: So I guess it did depend upon the club, what the club owner wanted you to play, what he thought would draw a crowd.
8: What the club owner? The club owners usually had no idea what was going on, so you couldn't go by them. We had to go by the fans because the club owners were usually uh, jerks. They still are. Most club owners are. jerks. And all
7: the club o- owners out there are watching you now.
8: I doubt it. They're too busy counting their bar receipts. Uh-huh.
7: True. Have you any of you ever taken any vocal or instrumental lessons, or?
8: No, I don't take drugs. <laughs>
7: Four? Four lessons? Minutes. Four minutes? <laughs> Thank Four you. Minutes. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> we need bigger <laughs> crew. Um, Bunny, yeah, I actually gonna... played French horn for a couple years you in have... the orchestra. Gee, if they get another drummer, then you can play French horn. You'll have five members.
5: Two, three, five.
7: How many years have you been playing French horn?
6: I don't play anymore.
7: You, don't... you gave that up for the drums? Yeah. You don't have time, huh? No time. I see. When you were all very young, did you feel like you wanted to go into performing? Has this always been in your blood or whatever? I know since I've been young, I've always wanted to perform, be in front of a camera or whatever. But ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I well, was
8: wondering. we done here in a little bit. <laughs> Maybe we have a camera over there. <laughs> yes, I, I always wanted to. I mean, I. I've always wanted to be in showbiz or entertain or, you know, be a mathematics teacher or something exciting.
7: If memory serves me right, didn't you start when you were very young on the Barber of Seville?
8: Yes, you've been doing your homework, Deidre. Yeah. Uh, yes, my to. my mother and father are opera singers, so I was around music all my life, always as a little kid. I was always running around, and I, at the age of two, wandered on stage at the Met in uh, New York City, and... Uh, performed with I believe it was either Aida or Barbara Seville. I'm not exactly sure and uh, people laughed and clapped for me and so it's I'm, I'm happy to say more people are clapping these days than laughing.
7: That's good. It's practice that does that, right?
8: What the audience? Or me? The
7: audience will get. Yeah,
8: it's hard for them to keep from uh, laughing, but uh, they do they like our music So they clap a lot.
7: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
8: I'm glad you like our music.
7: I love it Your latest album is Heaven Tonight. Do you feel this is your most accomplished album yet? You have three albums out now. How do you feel about this album? Somebody, somebody.
8: I think it's our third album, (laughs) so I think it's pretty good for a third album. Do
7: you?
8: Yeah, a lot of people have written us letters saying that they like the tunes. Matter of fact, a lot of people wrote us from our second album, In Color, said they liked the tunes. And the first album, a lot of people wrote us about that one, too. So We seem to be on the right track, because people are learning how to... uh, you know, really use uh, the english language have uh, quite a command uh, and using our albums as as a reference point it's uh, i think we could be a whole new breed of uh, uh, english majors and uh, very intelligent musically intelligent uh, people growing
7: up that, in that's future. wonderful rick i hate to stop you <laughs> listen i'd like to ask you one more question what do you prefer playing in more theaters nightclubs what's your favorite do you like small audiences do you like a Big hall, or what do you like to play the most? What do you feel most comfortable at?
3: Yeah.
7: Uh, the, I'd say you like a like, larger audience. I like the big... Cause then you know you're doing good if you can bring in a lot of people. Good, good. Am I Am I right or wrong? Cold, hot?
8: Well, I think they're all good for certain reasons. I mean, the clubs are real neat for us to play in the first place because mm-hmm. going into a place that holds 10,000 and no one's heard of you, and uh, not even selling beer. You're not going to get any people in for that. Uh, the big places uh, lend an intimacy that it's hard to even get in a small room. And,
7: uh, Wait, did you say the big places have intimacy?
8: Oh, sure.
7: Tell me about it. It's
8: nice to be intimate with the 800th row. It's tough. That's that's
7: right. It's tough. It's some job.
8: Right. It's it's like long-distance love affairs. You have
7: to make the person in the front row be as entertained as the person in the last row, and I'm sure that's difficult to accomplish.
8: It is, but uh, it's been done many times. That's great. I
7: believe it. I'm, I'm very, very happy for you, and I think you're a very successful band, and I'm sure you'll go on to be more successful and spread your music around because I really enjoy it, I love it. makes me move and that makes me happy.
8: Thanks, dear, and it's our pleasure doing the TV show here. I'm so,
7: uh, very happy to have you on. one
8: of your earlier shows or one of your first shows?
7: Well, the first shows of this kind. We've had a show going now for about three years and we've just started Rockola, And we're starting it off with you, which is a good oh, choice for a band, so I think. think. Yeah. yeah.
8: We're number one.
7: <laughs> remember good that, night. he won't let you forget if I remember. Okay, this is Deirdre Wilson saying goodnight for Rock
4: Bill, take your feet off the table and help me straighten up. Nancy will be home any minute, and she's bringing some friends with her.
2: For her friends, I don't have to clean up.
4: Hi,
8: Mom. Hi, Dad. These are the guys I told you about. Mom, Dad, oh. meet Cheap Trick. Hello. <laughs> yeah, Robin is the lead singer, isn't he? Adorable. Yeah, an and old. Tom Peterson plays the bass guitar and creates auras.
7: And Rick was a cartoon character before he joined the group.
8: Oh. And this is Venezuela. He was named after a country
7: in South America, I think. Banzuela.
8: They played in bars and bowling alleys and even warehouses, and now they've got an album out. Yeah. Why don't you play one of the songs from your album for my parents, guys? <laughs> yeah.
2: To the college, you said. She'll meet some nice boys, you said.
3: Cheap trick.
8: Only rock and roll could bring them together. Only Epic Records could record their first album, Cheap Trick.